Hey, what's up, friends? It's Eddie, host of The New Activist. I am glad that you are here. I wanted to tell you that we are actively working on releasing, I guess, what would be season three. We sort of wrapped up a round of 10 shows, and we are just about to release another 10 to 12 shows coming up soon. But in the meantime, I am excited to re-release some of Uh, our favorite episodes from season one. This first episode that you are going to hear today was actually our first show. It launched September 14th, 2016, and it was with one of my heroes, Eugene Cho, and it is a particularly pertinent interview for what is happening right now because he talks about the cost of doing activism. So I wanted to re-release this show. A few notes about it. First, you are going to notice that the music is different. Some of the people on the show are different. I sound different when I listen to it. It sounds like I'm listening to old episodes of The Simpsons, you know, where Homer sounds like... (laughs) It's it's so odd to listen to. But put that aside if you can, because the conversation with Eugene is certainly important for us to hear. So here is that re-released show. As a reminder, The New Activist is presented by International Justice Mission. IJM is working to end slavery in our lifetime, and we desperately, no joke, we need your help. Would you please go to newactivist.is forward slash IJM, and when you get there, you will see a form. That form will take you a few moments, literally like a couple seconds, to fill out, and it will generate a letter that will ask your elected officials to please support and fully fund life-changing legislation. It is incredibly important that you do this, and it is a great and tangible way for you to support The New Activist. Thanks for doing that, newactivist.is forward slash IJM. And with no further ado, Eugene Cho. This is The New Activist. Well, this is indeed The New Activist. Welcome. My name is Eddie. It is a privilege to be here with you, sharing in this time together. You know, normally when the show starts, we're just going to jump into it. Uh, but today, if you'll permit me, I'm going to take a few extra moments and just explain a little bit what this show is, because I am keenly aware that there are a zillion podcasts in the world, and really, (laughs) why do we need another one? But there was something that I felt like, um, and, and many of my colleagues and I at International Justice Mission, there was something we just felt was missing, and that is great conversations with people who are doing the work of justice, but not just conversation for the sake of conversation and not just, you know, highlighting famous people, but, but conversation for the sake of us learning what it means to do the work of justice. Because it's hard. It's, it's hard to know when we hear about these huge issues like, um, like gender inequality, uh, like racial inequality, like human trafficking. We hear these big terms and we think, how in the world could I actually do something? Uh, and, and that's what this podcast exists for. 
This is what we are doing. We are talking about how we can do something together. So some of the people that are interviewed, you're going to know. Some of them will be famous, though they probably wouldn't love being (laughs) called famous. And some people are going to be relatively unknown. The commonality here is not the scope of the bigness of what they're doing. It's that they're doing something. And that's what we'll dig into during these interviews. We won't just be talking about what's this great thing that you have started that starts to feel unattainable to us, but when did you realize there was an issue and do something? How did you take a first step, a second step? What's been inspiring? What's been really hard about it? And what can we learn from your story? That's what the new activist is. It's funny, the website is newactivist.is, and it's like an Icelandic country code. It was actually way hard to get. (laughs) Totally worth it. But the reason we chose that website is because the new activist is you. And I almost want you, as you are typing in a website or giving it out, always to remember that. The show isn't about the new activist is the famous person or kind of famous person or unknown famous person that's on the podcast titled The New Activist is you. And we are trying to equip you and equip me and equip all of us with the tools to go and change the world. Today we get to learn from Eugene Cho. I first became acquainted with Eugene actually through his writing. His first book titled Overrated, and listen, the subtitle is great. It says, are we more in love with the idea of changing the world than actually changing the world? Uh, His first book is amazing. You should totally read it. You can get it anywhere books are sold. Uh, It is just a really challenging book, and that really made me think at least about why I do the work that I do. And I think we should all be asking that question. What, what are our motivations? Um, but it's not just a deconstructive book. It's actually a really constructive book that propelled uh, me and many others forward in the work of doing justice. So Eugene wrote that book. He draws from a deep wealth of wisdom. He is the lead pastor of Quest Church in Seattle, which is just a great church. It is multicultural. It is multigenerational. It is forward thinking. It's a safe place for people to come and engage. It is a brave church. It's just a great church, and he is leading the charge there. He is also the founder and visionary of One Day's Wages, which is a grassroots movement of people and stories and actions that all come together to alleviate extreme global poverty. So Eugene is doing a lot of great work, and he is going to be in conversation with my friend Nikki Toyamasito. And Nikki has actually (laughs) been listening to this entire introduction, and I think it is time to let her out of the Skype purgatory. You there? I'm here. That's awesome. Thanks for bearing with me for that entire thing. Um, I am excited that you are here, and I am excited that we get to hear you be in conversation today. Tell me, what's your relationship with Eugene? Did, did you know him going in? Was this a brand new relationship for you? I think I first encountered Eugene uh, several years ago when there was a bit of a controversy, um, and this is sort of the beginning of controversies breaking out on the internet. Um, I mean, it was like olden days, um, mm-hmm. and... Um, and there was a whole band of Asian American Christian leaders who uh, were really 
leading the charge because there were some really racially offensive uh, materials that were produced. Mm. And so I remember, I think one of my first interactions with Eugene was on a call where uh, we were all trying to a little bit coordinate. And to be honest, part of what my role in that was, I actually knew somebody who knew uh, one of the authors. Mm. And uh, we were sort of trying to broker a conversation and a piece because it was spiraling real nasty. And so um, this was a conversation that I was having with uh, the Asian American Christian leaders uh, side. And I think that and we were, you know, really trying to figure out what are what are the priorities and what are the things that do feel like the non-negotiables and what are we really asking you mm. know, for? And so I, I do remember uh, Eugene being a, a key part of that conversation. So I think that was probably my first touch point with him. And then um, we've... Uh, overlapped here and there at a conference uh, now and again. Um, but it was really my first chance to get to sit down with him and ask a, a few questions that had been piling up for me. Some of them mm-hmm. emerged uh, from that experience all those years ago. And others just um, because I think he gets uh, he gets to walk a path that's pretty interesting. So I wanted to just learn from his perspective. No, no, I think it was great. And I, I was I was blown away because I was just there, you know, producing it, hitting record, making sure that levels were right and everybody has microphones and waters and things. But um, his transparency, I was yeah. not prepared for, though I don't know why, because he yeah. he, will, he is bold and he will, you know, talk about big issues. And I don't know why I wasn't expecting it. But when he was talking about the the personal cost and what it means for him and also the the yeah. hope he feels in the church and the people of the church, um, it was really stirring and moving. It was a it was like a special hour and it was a perfect setting. It was, uh, well, to paint the picture, we were in like this all glass room overlooking yes. DC. It was a jewel box. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was like perfect. And there come, there is Eugene Joe and yep. Nikki sitting and having a great conversation, <laughs> which we get to listen to now. Nikki friend, I um, uh, appreciate you and appreciate we get to do this together. It's going to be fun. Great. Thanks, Eddie. So here is Nikki Toyamasito in conversation with Eugene Cho. Hello, Pastor Eugene. Hello, everyone. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm so glad to have you here with us. Yeah, it's a joy. Do you consider yourself an activist? I do, uh, even though I think that word can mean so many different things in our culture today. You'll probably hear me say this again and again, but I think there are a lot of words that we use in our culture today that mean different things for different people. And that's okay. I think we're in a stage where we're all exploring what these words mean in a fast-changing culture. But I think an activist um, is something that I use alongside advocate, meaning that I'm speaking on behalf of convictions and things that really matter to me, along with others who may not have um, the platform to articulate their voices. And then how am I then uh, activating on those advocacy as well beyond just uh, utilizing my platform. So speaking, but also there's an action component. Uh, yes. Like a getting your hands dirty kind of thing. Yes, component. whether it's marching, whether it's speaking with people, or whether it's, you know, literally coming alongside someone and not just speaking on their behalf per se, but asking the question, what are some of the necessary steps that we need to take to move the needle from A to B? Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Now, you're kind of a regular in the justice conference circuit as you are traveling around to those different places what are some of the things that you see that give you great hope and maybe what are some of the things that you're observing that causes you just a bit of caution sure a few things that come to mind one 
I am deeply encouraged because we're having these conversations. These are active conversations. There are gatherings. There are books. There are conferences. There are seminars. There are global prayer gatherings that are centered around God and justice and the intersection between those things. And the fact that it's no longer seen as an external, a peripheral, a tertiary thing, an agenda thing, even though that conversation still goes on. So I'm really grateful for the Gary Haugens, the John Perkins, people that have gone before us that kind of walked this path when it was really lonely. Mm, yeah. It was uh, a lot of, I think, uh, comments of this is heretical, what's your agenda? Because I think now it has become elevated and it's part of the church. So that's deeply encouraging and it's global, you know, that, it, that it's being spoken about, not just in the West, it's not dominated just by Western voices, but it's being had in many places as well. Uh, granted, people might be in different points of that journey and wrestling with that, but I'm really grateful, you know, that in numerous places, in fact, I would say that there are countries and places around the world that are in the far south, in, in the far east, in Africa, where I think they've been having these conversations long before we in the Western church, if I can dare say this, commodified it or commercialized it. Um, I think about some of the early missionaries that came to Korea, my homeland country, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and they came with not just the scriptures seeking to translate it into the original Korean language, but they came with an understanding of the whole gospel. They were the ones who, along with Koreans, working together, they helped build the first universities, the first orphanages, the first hospitals, wow. because it made sense to them. Uh, and that's powerful. It's one of the reasons why I think the gospel, Christianity, really spoke to me personally is when I learned more about that story. In terms of things that give me pause and caution are things that I personally confess to as well. I wrestle with it. The question, am I more in love with the idea of doing justice? You know, I think if we're honest, I don't know of a single Christian that would say, I don't like justice. I don't love justice. But if we're honest, I think we all love justice until there's a personal cost to us. And the truth is there's a cost. There's always a cost. And, and so I think we need to really have that conversation with people is, uh, are we in it more for ourselves? Is this another thread of our savior complex? Is this speak to my Asian savior complex, my messianic complex? I know I wrestle with it. It was in seminary 25 years ago when I began to realize, man, what are my motivations for doing this? So I think these are really important conversations to have. If we care about justice, and I'm glad that the church is saying yes, then the question we have to ask with a lot of thoughtful, prayerful, critical perspective is then how are we doing the work of justice? Hey, it's Eddie. Sorry to interrupt. Wanted to tell you that for the rest of this interview, you're going to hear like this ethereal angel sound in the background. It's actually Sarah Groves practicing uh, a few rooms over. I love it because I like that these interviews take place in the real world. Um, and in the real world, apparently of Eugene Cho, Sarah Groves practices and sounds like an angel. So enjoy her. Um, you took a trip recently to the um, Turkey border. Can you tell us a bit of, about what it is that you saw and maybe something that surprised you? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, my wife and I started a small grassroots humanitarian organization called One Day's Wages. 
And, uh, you know, our tagline is that we're a movement of people, stories, and actions to alleviate extreme global poverty. And so we do a bunch of work, whether it's water, nutrition, human trafficking. And we also have the opportunity when situations arise to engage some of these global crises that, that take place. And as you know, uh, many folks have called this current refugee migration crisis one of, if not the greatest, humanitarian crisis in our lifetime. And so we're doing some work there with an organization called Ward Relief. Uh, we flew into Istanbul, beautiful city. Certainly that whole country is going through some tumultuous things, but we went down south to a city called Gaziantep, mm. and then more specifically uh, to a small town or a smaller town called Kilis. And Kilis is right at the border between Turkey and Syria. And I'll be honest with you, when our local host said, would you be okay with going to the border? We're like, is it safe? And they're like, we think so, it should be okay. But you know, long story short, yeah, we, we went there, actually saw an ISIS camp that was about a mile and a half, two miles away on the other side of the border. Very, very intense. I mean, it was um, good, it was beautiful, it was painful, it was really hard. Um, beautiful in the sense that even in some of these difficult situations, you see glimmers of light, you see um, the body of Christ, certainly much, much smaller. Hmm. In Kilish, we met what our local hosts who were missionaries there for about 20 years said, that this was the first Christian that they've ever met in this particular town, ever. Wow. So one Christian. And this person was so overjoyed when, they, when he met us and we, we said we're also Christians. I mean, talking about like, you know, you know, past the, the, the kiss of peace. I mean, he was so overjoyed that it deeply convicted me about how much we in the West, at least in my life, we take for granted the gift of fellowship because it's wow. all around us. But he was so overjoyed. He wanted to have coffee and tea and candy. And, and you know, we, like, we have to go like, no, you sit down. But we also saw these missionaries working with one another to help build these two schools. And every single student there are uh, part of the are Syrian refugees. 10 to 15% of the kids that are refugees from Syria are in school right now. Only 10 to 15%. Wow, that's it. The rest have to work. Um, I met a mother named Melek, who has two kids, ages 13 and 16. One works from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. One works from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. The 13-year-old makes $100 U.S. a month wow. for that much labor, six days a week. The other makes, I believe, $150. So just really uh, incredibly hard stories as well. I mean, I'll share this hard, painful story. Uh, when we were in this town, I was a little surprised by, A, the number of kids that were all around, but I was surprised by how so many of these girls had short hair. Mm. I mean, like, just, it just surprised me. Yeah. You know, just short hair, again, because in my construct, I had always assumed that long hair was a sign of beauty in the Middle East, and so you kept long hair. And so I just assumed it 
maybe it's for sanitation reasons, you know, maybe they, they just don't have access to regular water, whatever it might be. And I think that was part of it. But it was after several days of being in this community and then finally having the guts to ask people, what's the reason behind this? And they said, it's because of the fact that parents are wanting their daughters to look like boys as much as possible. Wow. Because there have been so many real stories of girls being abducted and kidnapped, hmm. um, oftentimes by ISIS. And so that was just really, really sobering, you know, that um, as we elevate um, the work of people that prayerfully with integrity biblically are trying to be faithful to scriptures and to do good, to, do, to, to love mercy and to walk with humility that are seeking justice. I think part of that is that we have to also be really honest about the work of evil that exists in mm. our world today. Yeah. Um, that that's part of the truth telling yeah. that we need to engage in. And it's not to say that uh, folks that are engaged in this work is they're, they're, never, they're never outside God's redemptive power and grace. But as we pray for them, but we also have to acknowledge that there has to be serious work that needs to be done to impede, to stop, uh, to eradicate uh, the evil that does exist in our world today. Yeah. Have there been some practices or things that you have chosen to do or to have be true about your life that's helped you sort of stay engaged and keep the fire burning over the long haul? Yeah, you know, it's really, really important. And so this is what I'm, I'm going through my midlife reflection right now. It sounds so much more <laughs> wise and sagacious than midlife crisis. It sounds so much more pastoral. Here's, I think, how I'm looking at the next 20, 30, 40 years of my life. When I look at my peers, when I look at us, you, you know, Eddie here and others who might be listening to this, whether they're young or in their midlife or aging, you know, I think about two questions come to mind. I think these are really important questions. One is that when we are on our last chapter of our lives, wherever that may be, may it be far away from now, two questions. One, will we still be following Jesus? I think is a huge question because it's happening all around us. People are just falling off. I don't know if people are talking about it, but it's happening. Hmm. And two... If we're still following Jesus, are we still serving Jesus and are we doing it with joy? Hmm. Because you and I, we've been around the block a few times. When you've been in ministry, in kingdom work, in NGOs, in church, in parachurches, you see beautiful stuff, but you see some really jacked up stuff as That's well. True. And what it ends up doing is that it feeds the spirit of cynicism mm. that is lingering and festering in our culture today. So when I look in the mirror, my prayer for myself and for my wife, both of us, we pray, Lord, we want to serve you till our last breath. And that's, mm. our, that's our fervent prayer because we don't want to sway off or backslide. And the thing is, not only do we want to believe in him, we want to serve him and still have joy, infectious joy, so when you speak to the question, what are some practical things? I think being in relationship so that we're never in silos, never in isolation, and being in genuine friendships, you know, not just on podcasts, but folks that know you, that have the permission to ask you hard questions and tough questions, the motivation questions, the savior complex questions, I think are important. But this is not rocket science, and I, people might be listening to this podcast and go, geez, I, I knew this, but prayer, 
Scripture, sacraments, Sabbath, sabbatical, learning. And these are all fundamental spiritual disciplines. So I would almost say we don't have to reinvent anything new. It's actually what are we doing to actually rediscover some of the sacredness of gifts that the scriptures that God, the Holy Spirit gives to us. Mm. Can you say more about um, what it means to kind of follow passionately after justice and also how that is impacting your family and those relationships that are closest to you? I mean, I think specifically of some of the times that you have taken very public roles and led the charge in some pretty tough things. Um, and, and I know that sometimes that plays out at home in ways that are a little bit different. Can you tell us a bit about what that kind of looks like and how you think about that? Hi, it's me again. Uh, when Nikki asked this question, Eugene stopped uh, for a few moments and kind of had a, a personal, reflective, emotional moment. When I left it in, it didn't seem respectful to him, but when I took it out, it somehow seemed disingenuous at the moment. So. Uh, here is the third option, me telling you what happened. <laughs> Back to Eugene. Yeah. I don't know why I got so emotional for a second. Um, I think it's that midlife uh, reflection um, um, that I'm going through right now. It's really strange, and I say this not to be comical or to deflect things. Um, my kids are constantly making fun of me right now because I'm crying at everything. Uh, we're like watching... <laughs> parented or like dumb and dumber and I'm just like crying like crazy and they're like what is wrong with you and so my wife says <laughs> leave him alone he's going through his season um you know yeah I mean one of the things that I would say is um when we encounter opposition and criticism and I've been doing 45 doing this for a long time I would have thought that by this point, I would have thicker skin. And I think in some ways you do, but in some ways I'm actually glad that our skin never gets so thick that we're not reminded of our frailty and our humanity, that it doesn't move us to our knees and say, God, we need you, help us. Um, and that we're actually even able to share this and show this with our children and with one another and even to our congregation. So often I think the temptation is there even for me to present a certain image of strength and courage and boldness. Um, and I think it also exposes me to the danger of how easy it is to want to be liked by everyone. You know, as a pastor, as a leader, you know, I want to be liked by everybody. And so when we speak about the cost of justice and the cost of speaking for your convictions, you know, sometimes it is actual physical work that we have to do. There's sacrifice with resources. And oftentimes, I think we're actually sacrificing relationships or the possibility of our relationships being challenged and, and pushed back upon in some ways. And in our world today, where I think Everyone seems to be contending and shouting and arguing for things, particularly on social media. Uh, I think it's one of the challenges and the realities of our world today. 
whether it's calling the church to be more mindful about what does compassion and justice look like, refugee engagement, uh, engaging LGBTQ issues, engaging, uh, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, people of color, all of these things, women's rights, where uh, no matter where you stand, there's going to be pushback and opposition. And so, yes, that's been challenging. Um, and one of the things that I have wrestled with, in addition to wanting to be well-liked, is then responding to the fear that builds up within. Uh, and it's, it's there. It's legitimate. It's real. You know, as a 45-year-old man, I realized, gosh, I'm actually, I find myself becoming more afraid. Because you realize that as you age, there's actually more things that, that might be sacrificed whether it's family, children, your church, the size of your church, budget, your image, being invited to this conference or that conference. And so I think it again beckons us to ask the question, who am I? Who do I serve? What do I believe in about this whole gospel? Do I really believe in this Jesus, this resurrection, this radical gospel? And then to conjure up by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit again, to muster up that courage to keep being faithful to the things that you're called to. But, you know, as you noted, one of the hardest parts is knowing that I'm not a person that lives on an island to myself. Yeah. I have yeah. a relationship to a church that I love. I have a relationship with my wife, and we're in covenant for life, and then we have these three kids. And so, yeah, there are times, things that have happened where... Um, we've had to have conversations. You know, sometimes it's my children, you know, who know how to navigate the internet much better than I can. And it's amazing and actually a little scary when they say, Dad, I actually Googled your name. Mm. And what does this mean? Why are they saying these things about you? Mm. Uh, why are they saying that we should go back home? What does this mean? And it's really painful. Um, what do you say when, to your kids when they pull up some random comment or some article that says, and, and they say, why are they saying these things yeah. about you, Dad? Well, I'm tempted to say, go talk to your mother. Which <laughs> um, is always the right answer. <laughs> right. So I think it's loving them and honoring them enough to have honest conversations about why. And also realizing that my kids are also experiencing similar things. You know, my oldest daughter, um, as well as all of my kids, but, you know, they're very have deep convictions. Some of them are different than mine, but it's amazing to me how she's advocating for Black Lives Matter, help resuscitate the Black Student Union at her high school, which is predominantly Caucasian American, um, is the president of the Multicultural Committee, and she helps oversee this humongous affair trying to educate people about the importance of being culturally sensitive. And, you know, she comes home some days and she's weeping, exhausted, and she just tells me, you know, folks would just come up to her and say, F you. I don't know if I can say this, but F you. And I don't know why you're making a big deal out of this. And she gets really strange anonymous emails and so forth. So in some ways, you know, we're, we're walking it through alone, uh, walking it through it together. And I think, um, but it's hard, you know, but I think in a sense, this is part of discipleship. We're called to follow Christ, not out of blind submission, but to count the costs and to follow him, to carry up our cross. Um, there are times it's been particularly challenging because there have been, you know, the, the internet is crazy. 
you know, we've received some threats via email, some, some crazy phone calls. We've actually received death threats. And so those have been some of the more difficult moments where I've, I've actually questioned myself. And I think even, you know, my loved ones have said, hey, is this worth it? Is this worth it for you to be speaking out about these things? Um, some years ago, you know, I had to make up a lie to my, to my wife and kids because at that time, things were so intense. And I said, hey, let's just leave town for a little bit. You know, there were, our kids were young. Let's do a spontaneous field trip somewhere. And so I took them out of town three, four hours away because rocks were thrown into our church building, got a couple of death threats. Someone actually called and said, I'm going to slit your wife's throat. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's tough. And those, those are far in between. Um, but it's crazy that these things are taking place in some way. One of the th agreements that I've made with my wife is that, you know, I rarely ever share with people where I'm at until I'm actually back from that particular trip, which is always a little odd because, you know, folks will say, hey, I thought you were in Turkey this morning. Why are you here? Uh, so... But, you know, these are all lessons that we're learning together about what does it mean to be faithful, um, to also protect and care well for yourself and for your loved ones as well. Yeah. Thank you. That was fascinating. That was Thank really you. helpful. No, really appreciate great. the time. That's a lot to think about, especially, well, for me, that part of the end where he's talking about the real cost to his family. Uh, when he was sharing that story, I thought, would I actually continue on doing the work that I feel is important enough to do if my family at all felt unsafe? I sure hope I would. If you want to learn more from Eugene Cho, read any new things that he writes, hear him speak, you can go to his Twitter and Facebook. Both of them are at Eugene Cho, and we're all over social media. Conversations about this show will be happening both on Facebook and Twitter. Both of them have the same handle new activist is one word new activist is and we have a website new activist dot is also you can listen to this podcast wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts but if you have a moment leaving us a review and some stars on itunes would help more people find the show thanks the new activist has been a presentation of international justice mission ijm is working to end slavery in our lifetime and won't stop until all are free if you want to learn more about the work of ijm and uh, maybe even become a freedom partner a great opportunity to take a next step with them you can go to our website newactivist.is you'll see it right there and let me know if you became a freedom partner that would be really really great the music for today's show was composed by ether super cool guy you can listen to more at soundcloud.com forward slash ether. That's A-E-T-H-E-R. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of my colleagues at International Justice Mission, I am Eddie Koffeltz. It has been a pleasure.